Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the Feast of the Holy Family, the Sunday within the octave of the Epiphany, and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Brethren, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against any other, even as the Lord has forgiven you, so also do you forgive. But above all these things have charity, which is the bond of perfection. And may the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Unto that peace indeed you were called in one body. Show yourselves thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly. In all wisdom, teach and admonish one another by psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing in your hearts to God by his grace. Whatever you do in word or in work, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. When Jesus was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And after they had fulfilled the days when they were returning, the boy Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. But thinking that he was in the caravan, they had come a day's journey before it occurred to them to look for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem in search of him. And it came to pass after three days that they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who were listening to him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, in sorrow thy father and I have been seeking thee. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the word that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother kept all these things carefully in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace before God and men. So far are the words of this day's Holy Gospel. And may the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Unto that peace, indeed, you were called in one body. These are words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, uh, how much can you know and still not know? Famous names that uh, we hear about, George Washington, Napoleon Bonaparte, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Thomas Edison, Julius Caesar, Frank Sinatra, Marilyn Monroe, Paul Newman, Houdini, all these names are famous people that we know about to some degree or other. But how much do we know of them in spite of their fame and fortune? When we come to the life of Christ, how much do we know 
of Christ. We know about his birth, and we know his public life, but what about in between? The one incident that's mentioned in the Gospel today, at the age of 12, he was lost in the temple for three days, but for the most part, we know very little about Christ. How much do we know about the Blessed Mother? How much do we know about Saint Joseph? These are things hidden from us, and yet even those that we do know, including our own selves, how much do we know about ourselves? Sometimes we say and do things that surprise even us, for better or for worse. And so I ask again, how much can you know and still not know? In this time, we come to the transition from the nativity to our Lord's public life. But in between, there is the hidden life of Christ. The following incidents, as we're told in our um, My Catholic Faith book on page 71, the following incidents in our Lord's life were closely connected with the Nativity. We had the circumcision, January 1st, the presentation yet to come, um, February the 2nd, Candlemas Day. We try to fit it in as we transfer from the infancy to the public life of Christ, yet keeping in perspective some of these events, even though they seem to be disjointed somewhat. The flight into Egypt, uh, how long were Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in Bethlehem after the Magi came and the message that uh, they were to take the child into Egypt to flee from the wrath or the uh, envy of Herod. The child received the name Jesus when he was eight days old. He was circumcised according to the custom of the Jews. That was uh, one of the important identifications of uh, a Jewish child. At the circumcision, Jesus began his role of mediator between God and man, shedding his blood for the first time for us. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is from St. Matthew's Gospel. And so we have the name of Christ given. When Jesus was 40 days old, his mother presented him in the temple at Jerusalem. In imitation, through the right, uh, though the rite is essentially different, mothers today after childbirth seek the blessing of the church in a thanksgiving ceremony called churching. Now, many do not know that that is a special blessing given to mothers, and they therefore fail to ask for it. It is a blessing before childbirth as well as after. The Feast of the Presentation is celebrated on February 2nd. It is also called the Purification of the Blessed Mother or Candlemas Day. On this day, candles are blessed and carried in procession. That is where this ceremony is observed. In seminaries, we used to have it. And in certain churches and cathedrals in the world. But in memory of the words of Holy Simeon, when Jesus was presented in the temple, he said, Our Lord is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And that meant that he came to all people, not just to the Jews. Mary and Joseph took the child Jesus to Egypt to save him from King Herod, who wanted to kill him. And we know that King Herod died four years before the <coughs> year of our Lord's supposed birth. So he died in the year 4 BC, which means, therefore, that our Lord was born before that. And so he's born really about four to seven years before our reckoned 
calendar time of his birth. So our calendar is off by about that many years, and yet we continue since it's already established, and uh, we have this little discrepancy that we should keep in mind, even though it doesn't really make that much difference. An angel appeared to Joseph and told him to take the child Jesus and his mother away to Egypt. They stayed in Egypt until the death of King Herod. Then an angel appeared to Joseph and bade him return to the land of the Jews. So we have this interaction of God and the Holy Family. And we say, well, they were special because Christ was there and God intervened with them. But we fail to realize that God also intervenes in his own way with us. And we should be open to that intervention by doing the things of God and following his commandments. And in that, he does speak to us at least by his inspirations to guiding us, to making choices on faith, hope, and charity that otherwise, according to the wisdom of the world, we would not make. And so we come to the hidden life of Jesus Christ. And the question in Lesson 32, how may the life of Jesus Christ be divided? The life of Jesus Christ may be divided into three parts, his childhood to the time when he was 12 years old, his hidden life to the time when he started his teaching, and his public life to the time of his death. After the murder of the Holy Innocents, the child Jesus lived in Egypt with his mother and St. Joseph until the death of Herod, then returned with them to the Holy Land. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. And just as St. Joseph had obeyed without question when told to take the child to Egypt, it said that he even rose in the middle of the night and left to go from Bethlehem to Egypt. When told to take the child to Egypt, so now he obeyed, knowing that God who watches over the birds of the air would watch over those given unto his charge. And we need that kind of faith in the providence of God that we'll talk about again in the future, that God watches over us if we give ourselves into his care and charge. God didn't tell him where to live. He just said, go to the land of Israel. And so with human prudence, knowing that the relatives of King Herod were still in power, they chose to go to the northern country, to the hill country called Galilee. And there they lived in a little town called Nazareth, out of sight, out of mind, and where Christ grew quietly in the environment of people who were really sort of despised because Galilee was considered mingling with the pagans of the northern areas and not pure Jews like those in Judea around Jerusalem in the southern part. The Holy Family lived at Nazareth. From there, every year, Mary and Joseph went to worship at the Temple of Jerusalem. Remember, only in the Temple was their sacrifice offered to God. Sacrifices of um, food, of uh, the goats and heifers and whatnot but nowhere else was their sacrifice offered. So they would go down on the feast days as required and take the journey uh, on a year yearly pilgrimage when required. When Jesus was 12 years old, he went along with his parents to celebrate the Pasch, the Passover at Jerusalem. He was the Passover himself, but he went and observed the customs of the Jews of his time. Then Mary and Joseph left the city to return to Nazareth, but Jesus remained behind without their knowledge. And so we have the epistle, the gospel, I mean, we have the gospel today's um, celebration of the Feast of the Holy Family when these events were recalled. 
We can only imagine the distress of Mary and Joseph, it's called one of their sorrowful mysteries, upon having lost Jesus, most precious to them, the child Jesus that had been entrusted to their care. And what was their joy? Also the sorrow and the joyful mysteries, when after three days' search they found him in the temple, in the midst of the wise men there, hearing and questioning them. And Mary told how great had been her grief when she said, Behold thy father, and I have been seeking thee sorrowing. <clears throat> but Jesus replied, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Not St. Joseph, but his heavenly father. And even then he knew who he was and what he was about, what he was to do. Jesus dearly loved Mary and Joseph, but he did not hesitate to cause them pain and part from them in order to obey his heavenly Father's will. In imitation of him, <clears throat> many young people leave home and their dear parents to enter a priesthood or a religious congregation to serve God completely, or to serve God in raising a family of their own as they um, part from their parents. Some non-Catholic interpreters insist that Jesus had brothers, that he was not the only son of Mary. Those spoken of in the Gospels as the brethren of our Lord were his blood relatives. It was the practice among the Jews to call near relatives brethren. Um, there is a um, movement among some Catholic theologians today to question now whether or not Jesus didn't have brothers and sisters like the Protestants believe. So much as this ecumenism blurring the lines of our Catholic faith with the Protestant uh, understanding or uh, interpretation of things. Abraham called his nephew Lot in, the, in this manner, let there be no quarrel between me and thee, for we are brethren. That was his nephew. St. John Chrysostom wrote, Our Lord on the cross would not have needed to commend his mother to his apostle John if she had other children. So these little indications, though they seem confusing, support the teachings of the church that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. She had no other children except us, to whom um, God has given her to be our spiritual mother, the mother of the living, in, in grace. Now, how long did the hidden life of Jesus Christ last? The hidden life of Jesus Christ lasted from his return to Nazareth at the age of 12 until he began his public ministry at the age of about 30. Again, there's discrepancies, but more or less about the age 30. 30 is a round number in St. Luke's Gospel. It is, again, only approximate. Jesus was probably at least 33 years old when he began his public life. Just a little note of interest. It's not important that much, it seems, but uh, this is what we say and believe. Of this part of our Lord's life, all we directly read from Holy Scriptures are two statements. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace before God and men. In these two sentences is contained the history of the hidden life of Jesus Christ, the God-man. In the temple at the early age of 12, Jesus had proved his wisdom before the doctors of the law. As St. Luke writes, and all who were listening to him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But did he continue after this unusual and favorable beginning? Did he stay on to preach his doctrines? No. Instead, 
he meekly followed his parents as a young child at that age and went to live with them in obscurity in Nazareth. It's interesting when we ask young people what they want to do when they grow up. And more often than not, they say, I want to grow up and be rich and famous, which is exactly the opposite of what we find our Lord, who lived the perfect life doing. He was poor and he was unknown. And many people are unhappy to be poor and unknown. They want to be known, and human respect rears its head with a great power. It, young people, teenagers, want to be like their peers. We like everybody else. They want to be accepted. It's a strong urge in human beings with this inclination to be loved or be liked or be accepted and to be proven uh, worthy of the crowd. And it's through history. It's not just in our own times, but a fundamental problem, a defect, that is overcome by the example of our Lord in his life who lived a hidden life obscure, unknown, and yet God um, incarnate. The actions of Jesus Christ are intended for us as examples and instruction as much as his words, is, uh, as his words, his example speaks, and we should learn from this example, that maybe there is something better found in obscurity rather than fame. You know, it's like a ball and chain. What is good for you is also bad for you like having possessions. The more you have, the more care and responsibility you must exercise. But those who are freest are, freest are those who have less. And then they can give themselves to other more important things. You see, in this world, there is a hidden world that the world itself does not know about. And it disdains this hidden world because it doesn't know it, is suspicious of it, and uh, is perhaps frightened by it to some degree. But it's this hidden world that God lives in, and to find God, we must enter this hidden world that is known only to those who enter it. The Greeks were marvelous minds who delved into the spiritual and discovered it. And uh, they brought it to our attention in philosophy and through history. We in the West have been the inheritors of this tradition of the Greek mind and a way of philosophy that underlies even our Catholic religion, the Latin church in the West. And we have this structure of the world of the spirit or of the soul that then leads us into the further third world, so to speak, of the supernatural, where God lives and where he invites us to come into. But we cannot be citizens of two worlds. We can live in the world, but we should not live of the world. And this is difficult, and we find our families torn apart by these attractions to seek the things that are above, where Christ dwells at the right hand of the Father, and yet to have the riches of this world. All these things I will give thee if falling down, thou wilt worship me, the devil tells us. And so we have to make decisions, and we have to learn to um, discover this other world of the Spirit, of the soul and of the supernatural. And we find those who do seek this world enter monasteries. They leave this world that with all its promises and they find a world of quiet, peace, of orderliness, of obedience, of poverty, of chastity. And it's not hard for those who seek the things that are above. But those who don't seek these things really 
perhaps don't know about them find it impossible to understand. And so this is the two, these are the two worlds and we find our Lord has chosen the better part, as she says to Mary, who sat at his feet. And listen, while Martha was so busy about uh, making arrangements for the party that was being thrown in his honor. And our Lord would not take away from Mary that which was the better part. And so by the example of Christ, we have the hidden life of Jesus, which is for us a perfect model of humility, poverty, and obedience. In other words, these three virtues, um, poverty, chastity, and obedience are for all people, not just for religious who take the vows, but to live the spirit of Christ. And by his hidden life, Jesus Christ teaches us to learn holiness and wisdom before we presume to teach others. He teaches us by living in obscurity to fight against our vanity, which makes us desire to be doing only what seems great and important, which makes us desire to be praised and noticed. Now, there is a um, freedom in limitations. And at the same time, there is a limitation in freedom. So look at the poor people who enter politics or the um, uh, movie industry. They're no longer their own. They are moved by the customs of the time, the expectations of their clientele, and they, are bec they become artificial. They're no longer genuine. And we say that's a limitation where those who are not known can be themselves, hopefully their best selves, but they're not encumbered by uh, public opinion or what is expected of them in a false manner. By his hidden life, our Lord teaches us to subject our pride, to live day after day without impatience or complaint, unknown to the world and even despised if this is the will of God for us. Then we shall have true peace of heart. And so Jesus said, learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. For long years of obscurity in Nazareth, he was just a carpenter's son. You wouldn't have known him if he lived here in Traver or Kingsburg or wherever you come from. The hidden life of Jesus Christ is for us a perfect model of obedience, and he was subject to them. God himself subject to human beings. And so we have this uh, example of, uh, of obedience, of authority, of power, uh, and yet orderliness under God. So parents are not to abuse their authority and children are not to um, be disobedient against their parents, but they are to grow under God together in a unity and holiness that brings peace. And there should be in every Catholic family, true Catholic family, peace. Not contention, not arguments, not recriminations, not hatred or anger. Uh, the humanness that we have is to be subdued by the power of the virtues that we practice. To be patient, to be long-suffering, to be forgiving, to be meek, to be humble, to be charitable. Now, these are things that don't come easily but can be found in this hidden inner world and they're learned and practiced takes that grace of God in silence. How God speaks to us in silence. But when we're busy about many things, the distractions and noises of the world drown out the voice of God. And that is not a benefit, certainly. The God of all created things, almighty and infinite, 
was subject to two poor and unknown mortals. He obeyed them in all things, promptly, constantly, cheerfully, and with great love. We don't know what Christ was like in his boyhood, in his adolescent years, in his young manhood. It's not told to us, but it was a hidden life that we can practice by obedience and kindness and growth and grace and wisdom and age before God and men as he did. Let us model our obedience on this perfect pattern. It's not going to be easy, but it's something that you learn by degrees. You find that there is a peace in being obedient. Take children who are told by their parents to wash the dishes or carry out the trash, whatever. And if they do it, how peaceful it is. And there's a happiness and a joy and time left over to do things that they want to do instead of crying or creating problems and all this disturbance that comes not from God but from the devil. So let's leave the devil outside the door and in our homes bring the peace of God and the obedience and the virtues of Christ and even though you're not known, you are known to God and that's the important thing. Remember uh, in one of the parables um, our Lord says there will be those coming and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, I, I don't know who you are. He said, well, Lord, we preached for you. We worked miracles in your name. He said, I don't know who you are. So they may be known to the world, but they're not known to God. And they will have no part in the kingdom of God. Let us obey our superiors as representatives of God, giving them due respect and prompt obedience. And this includes the, the authorities of the leaders of the church today. No, we, they, we may not respect uh, what they do. As the Pharisees, our Lord said, do not do what they do, but do what they tell you. And if they tell us the truth, then we follow the truth. But if they change the doctrines, this is where we no longer part with them. We leave and depart from them because we must obey God rather than men. And in men we find the authority of God and we find the authority of men. And the two worlds come together. And we must make our choice to seek that which is from God rather than that which is from man. Remember, Peter was condemned. Get thee behind me, you Satan, for you're a scandal to me. You mind the things of men and not the things of God. When our parents command us and we go about doing what they want, but with murmuring without spirit, is that the obedience that the child Jesus gave in Nazareth? There's that inner seething, that little smoldering fire of rebellion that has to be quenched. And this is the problem not outside a person but inside a person to submerge oneself to the will of God to their parents even though they don't understand and even though it's difficult but they're serving God and this service is rewarded by God with a strength and a grace and a peace and a joy and a power that cannot come in any other way remember there can be self-destruction that uh, comes from what looks like power to be one's own boss when we have to do something unpleasant or difficult, let us imitate Jesus in his very words. Yes, Father, for such was thy good pleasure. He was obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. And this is the obedience that crucifies us to the world, but liberates us to God. In this way, our obedience will be like that of Jesus, supernatural. We shall obey human beings for the love of God. We shall really be obeying God himself in the person of those he has placed over us. 
By the example of his hidden life, our Lord set the principle for the religious life, particularly for that in contemplative orders. So there's a place for people to give themselves to God in a very special way, under vows of obedience and chastity and poverty. But we can live the spirit of these virtues, nevertheless, even in our homes and in, even in public life, with the spirit of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace before men and God. Although he possessed all wisdom and grace from the first moment of his mortal life, he manifested them only gradually and in a way that was in keeping with his years. We can obtain much merit before God without doing any striking actions by merely being humble and obedient in the place of life in which it has pleased God to put us. This is limitations that free us. If we accept these limitations, then they're no longer limitations when we accept them. That's the secret of freedom. If Christ, the Son of God himself, was content to be humble, poor, and unknown, to do common tasks day by day for the greater part of his earthly life, is there any reason why we should be ever trying to exalt ourselves, to attract admiration, ever to feed our vanity? So these are considerations of the hidden life of Christ, the virtues of the Holy Family. And when we consider the Blessed Mother, unknown, and yet the holiest of all people, we see that she did the ordinary things that everybody has to do in ordinary life. And she did it with great love and obedience and humility and charity. These are the virtues of every good Catholic family. Cultivate them in yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.